I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours. From Ellen and Yvette, uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally yours. Hi, I'm Andrew and Karen. Thanks very much for coming on to Mentally Yours. Really appreciate you joining us. Um, I was wondering if we could start off by um, chatting to Karen. Obviously, it's challenging for everyone at the moment, but what kind of challenges are children and young people especially facing at present? Yeah, I think it's such a huge question, isn't it? Because there's so much variety. And I think we've heard a lot in the media about that whole same storm, different boat. Um, And I think different, who knows how to swim, who's driving the boat? Is it a cruise? Is it a dinghy? all of the rest. So I think there's such a variety. But I think, you know, obviously, we've got some children who are living in very unsafe situations, um, such as those where there's violence in the household and different other forms of abuse. We've got children living in poverty and overcrowding. Um, But we've also just seen lots of children struggling with a whole array of things from anxieties, um, which might have been new anxieties or ones that have been crystallised around germs, death. Um, We've got ones around separation anxiety. Uh, We've got, you know, some children struggling with um, self-harming, with sleep difficulties, with change in eating. We've got, you know, some families who have really come together and connected, others where there's, of course, been family friction and discord. Um, So huge gamut of things. We've obviously seen some people who are feeling um, struggling to transition or the uncertainty or the unpredictability, the impact on exams being changed or pressures. Um, So the whole kind of array, those who are struggling to regulate their emotions, uh, understandably. But then there's other children who 
you know, this pandemic has been a very different experience that actually bullying has stopped or actually they feel safer being at home than at school. So, yeah, there's been a real, that's just a a few, I could go on and on, but a a huge gamut, really. That's such a wide array of kind of issues to discuss and to tackle. So with See, Hear, Respond, how do you even kind of begin to help with that massive, overwhelming problem? How are you dealing with that? So See, Hear, Respond is is Bernardo's um, hosted project, working with 82 different local charities and organisations, voluntary organisations spread right across communities across England. And one of the strengths of that approach is that we have so many different partners who have so many different uh, specialities and, and approaches. So, so for example, um, we're working with National Deaf Children's Society. We're really helping us understand the added difficulties for deaf children at this time when people are wearing masks and already social isolation and access to education was such an issue for some of those children. It's just been really exacerbated at this time. And, and work with, working with smaller autism charities who we know that children with ASD have really struggled with changes in routine and and changes in support worker and changes in the way families are operating and and that over sensory of everybody being in the same space as has rocketed anxiety and 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 young people have have responded in in relation to you know um different types of behaviors that parents are really struggling to manage within family contexts mm. um we're also working with charities out on the street with children and young people because i think what we what we recognise is children struggling around emotional and mental health. Um, traditionally, are children who show those anxieties in 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 quite um, mainstream ways. So, in terms of being able to express their anxiety or not wanting to leave their rooms or 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 seeming quite depressed. But what we're also finding is is by de- deploying detached street work teams, we're seeing young people in emotional crisis in street settings where. They're incredibly angry and maybe they're engaging in antisocial behaviours or um, um, hurting other children. And when we engage and talk to them in street settings, what we're finding is that actually things at home are are, are really hard and and, and there's domestic abuse or they're not going to school because they don't ask mum for some shoes that fit and that they've grown over summer and, and nobody can afford it because parents have been furloughed or they've lost their jobs. And so we're seeing young people present um, in very different ways across very different age ranges and groups. And, and it's really important that as a sector, we're able to come together and pool our resources and our skills and our experience and start giving holistic responses to children, but not only children, their families as well, because often it's parents and carers' anxieties that are being passed down onto small shoulders. And these children are holding a lot of the anxieties of the adults around them as well. And there's the added layer of, of course, people who have have been unwell physically or have ongoing chronic um, conditions or other health conditions and how that's impacted those who have experienced grief or bereavement. Um, So there's so many different layers on so many different angles. So, um, yeah, that's um, just quite multi-layered. And one of the things we're really seeing is is different cultural um, responses as well. Um, So so we've purposefully um, um, aimed to recruit and work with um, Black Asian minority ethnic um, community groups who have really good reach into into some communities that, that, organizations like Bernardo's aren't traditionally um, 
known for being able to to reach in and, and build trust easily. Um, and so we've worked with those smaller organisations. And what we've seen there is disproportionate experience of um, increased racism and hate crime on top of what is now well publicised in terms of health inequalities uh, and um, um, increased uh, risk of serious illness or death through COVID. So it's mm. been really important to do local geographical, um, community-based responses. Um, and an organisation like Bernardo's that has a national reach is well-placed to coordinate that, but it can't do it on its own. It's got to work with those people that know those children, know those families, can access them, build trust easily and deliver you know, the types of services that families are asking for quickly and at source. So what is Bernardo's doing on the practical side? I'm sort of thinking, how do people actually access the help um, and how do you sort of know where to go in terms of offering the help? So the help is for those children and families who, who would normally fall through the gaps because we know that lots of local authorities have um, increased their early help offers um, and that some children and families who require that longer term intervention work um, from more complex embedded issues um, you know, may well be best served by going through um, those early help processes and, and, and securing that multi-agency response. Really for See, Here Respond, we've been for those families who maybe wouldn't traditionally access help or wouldn't meet those kind of criteria to get help where we could support quickly. Um, and in terms of mental health, we're very much taking a a social model of mental health for children. This isn't about children um, having adverse mental health or adverse reactions. What we're seeing this as is really ordinary responses by children in extraordinary times where they're being asked to um, cope with huge amounts of change and difficulty and stress and distress. Um, and, and we haven't really anywhere else put, put significant support in for those children. We've asked children to kind of get on with it, to cope with mm. lockdown, to to adhere to that, to to, to understand the issues of the pandemic without really communicating to them in language that they understand to to see um you know the escalating um death figures around them and 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 to cope with all of that without being helped along that process and what see a respond can do is an immediate response to those children and families and the majority of the 17,800 children we've supported in the last 3 months um they they the majority of that work is around just talking to children, helping them make sense of the current world around them, um, helping them use their existing coping strategies, but also building in protective networks around those families to really give them the, the, the strength and the skills to be able to manage what are really um, challenging times for those for those families and plug them back in to schools to other services but what we found is those other school those schools and other services have really struggled to give a trauma responsive approach to some of those children so we're seeing families fined for not sending their children back to school um, and they're not sending their children back to school often because they've had family members with two or three bereavements and they're saying I don't think it's safe I, I can't let my child go back and then to come back and say we're going to fine you because your child has to be back in school is really just creating further divides and what See Here Respond has been able to do in those situations is step in and, and bridge communication and talk to schools about what children might need or families might need that might be different to get children back into school whether that's a 
um, a reduced curriculum um, uh, or time in school or if it's around additional shielding measures because they're young carers and they're shielding adults and how do we make sure that those families are safe or it's really around you know therapeutic work for adults so that they can um, kind of address their anxieties and start to to trust in the systems and, and, and the organizations around them and, and and that's the kind of work that see here respond has been able to do that's been so effective we're not we're not looking to do recovery work what we're really looking to do is to help children and families understand their situations bridge the gaps and plug people back into to secure longer term support where required on an individual level, how can parents and carers and teachers kind of have that conversation? Because I think what you said is it's so important to explain things in a level that people understand and children understand and actually address just the mental health impact of that. How can we do that on an individual level in a way that works for children? Um, in terms of what we're doing, really, it's a, initially around giving children space and families space to have that conversation. and and. Actually, there hasn't been a lot of space where people's anxieties have been heard. We've seen lots of narratives and debates, often online or in the media, but actually to understand individual families' situations and fears and anxieties is, is the first thing that we can do. Um, the second thing we can do is look for solutions for families, so, so for some of those barriers that they have. So for young carers, for example, where disability adult services haven't been in to help their adults because they're on reduced um, caseloads at the moment. You know, how does a young carer leave a family member who's shielding and requires care at home and go to school? And we've had to look at solutions for that. So working with local authorities, working with schools around um, a hybrid approach sometimes around online support as well as being in school for a certain length of time. And, and people often need advocacy to make those changes, particularly if they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, in terms of, you know, lots of different competing demands and issues around them. And, and so really, we've taken a step by step individual approach, working with adults, working with children, working with schools to really look at how we can bring those parties together. And and the recent investment by Department for Education, so they've they've spent £80 million on, on providing schools with training and support in order that they can become more responsive. That's really welcomed. But what we're also seeing is schools saying, we've got stressed out staff that they're trying to implement all these social distancing measures. They're spending time in between classes, wiping down desks rather than talking to children who might want to access them. Children are telling us, I usually talk to this teacher, but I'm not allowed to because they're not in my bubble. And I don't really know this teacher. They're, they're a new teacher and I don't really know them and I can't really talk to them and they don't really know my family situation. So some of the um, safety measures that have been put in place in schools to try and keep children safe because of COVID are actually really adversely impacting on children's usual coping mechanisms and support networks within their schools. Um, Karen, what are your thoughts on how parents and teachers can support young people and children at the moment? I think it's it's tricky because, as I said, it will very. There's not a cookie cutter approach. There's not a one size fits all, and it will be very different depending on the individual context and the family. But I think lots of the things that Amanda said, you know, I really echo. I think partly 
a lot of the support that I've been doing is supporting parents and carers and teachers about their own well-being because as they say at the wellness project well-being leads to well-doing um, and actually if we've got a parent who is dysregulated it's very hard to regulate a child because emotions are contagious they feel that so a lot of what I've been doing is trying to support parents and teachers to have a space to reflect on their journey with COVID and what it's been like for them on what different feelings they have so that they feel they've got a safe space to be able to then be that sort of calming presence for the child. Um, but I think absolutely a lot of children have just had this sense, as Amanda said, of, you know, get on with it or you should be so lucky you're getting all this time off school um, or, you know, various other people's emotions have taken precedence um, and there can be a lot of um, value in people feeling like you're allowed to feel however you feel and there's no right or wrong and you might have spaghetti of feelings and a fruit salad of feelings and a whole mix um, and that's okay and let's find different ways to name those feelings for them to be validated, acknowledged to not be minimised or trivialised as silly or over-exaggerating, but to really find other ways to express how they're feeling, whether that is through hearing other children's stories, through stories out there, poetry, rap, art, all different aspects, um, but really trying to understand what is the world like at the moment from your shoes, from your eyes, um, what different feelings do you have? Um, and I think... There's lots of different mediums to do that, but it's also supporting parents so that when they're doing it, they're calm and regulated, but also that they feel more confident because a lot of parents, understandably, are worried to increase anxiety or to say the wrong thing or feel kind of ill-equipped. We're all in unfamiliar territory at the moment, you know most of us have not lived through a pandemic before so I think just giving people that time to reflect to think about it to practice um, and to think about how have I done this in the past and had tricky conversations or explored that and how can I use those skills that I have now um, so yeah I mean obviously there's specific words and things to say and and various bits but that would depend you know does the child have a learning disability um what's the relationship like with the parent what's the age what you say to a teenager is different to a two-year-old um but I think ultimately supporting to people to feel you're not alone um and that you're allowed to feel however you feel uh, there's that Maya Angelou quote people will forget what you say and forget what you do but they remember how you make them feel and to me, this pandemic is about how will people leave feeling that the school made them feel, that a parent made them feel, that an organisation, that people feel seen and heard and valued and acknowledged and held in mind. That's what they that's what the legacy will left be left with. You know, who was alongside me on that journey? Who was my safety net? Who rooted for me? Karen, you said the spaghetti and the fruit salad of feelings. Yeah. Could you expand on that? I've never heard that before and I just thought that was lovely, <laughs> lovely wording. Yeah, that's just often when I talk to children and adults, I try and help them think about that you can have blended and mixed feelings all at the same time. And so you might feel really excited about going to school but also feel a little bit worried or a bit anxious or really, really disappointed that you're not going to be able to do Christmas, but really relieved that you get to miss out on something else. So it's the idea that we can have 
two, three, ten feelings all at the same time, that they don't conflict or discount how we're able to feel and that we can have more than one feeling. And so some of the child-friendly metaphors I use is a spaghetti of feelings, um, a stained glass of feelings, a patchwork of feelings, a rainbow of feelings, a, a soup or a fruit bowl, just, uh, just to really help people think about what are all those different feelings and how can we hold them at the same time um, and that it's okay to have a whole mix and a whole range of feelings. I love that. I also I spoke over Amanda so Amanda please go. Oh no I was just going to talk about um I I looked at some of the referrals that we've got in today and I've just brought a couple of examples really that I think really do demonstrate Karen exactly what you're talking about mm. and how adults really struggle to respond to that spaghetti fruit salad mm. of feelings from children as well. So one of the cases was a young child uh, a young girl aged 7. And the referral states that she's struggled to settle back into school, has displayed some really unsettled and challenging behaviour. Mm. This behaviour has included running away from supervised areas and from supportive adults and hurting others. Others' behaviours have included refusing to complete work, refusing to listen and follow instructions or shout or name call at children and the class teacher. She's now on a part-time school hours after two fixed-turned exclusions since September. And that's a seven-year-old girl who previously hadn't had those types of challenging behaviours previously. And, and, and what really worries us as a programme when we see um, a, a referral like that, and what we really want to ask is, what's happened? What's happened in that time for that child? What, what is causing all of this out, uh, kind of display of, of feelings? And, and what's causing that? And, and how do we help that child come to terms with whatever it is that has happened during that period? Are we sure that that child's safe now? And how do we really start to help that child begin to be able to move towards um, kind of feeling cared about and positive and safe in a school environment and you can times that that child by 250 a day in terms of the the referrals coming into to our service mm. and it just shows how schools are really struggling so you know another one age 14 you know this child has struggled with anxiety since coming back to school following the COVID lockdown once she's in school she manages really well, but there's days she'll get really upset, experience paranoid attacks, which ends up with her not coming to school. This is impacting on her social connections and her education. And then they go on to say, we have tried lots of approaches in schools, such as graduated exposure, psychoeducation, as well as sanctions. And it just shows that schools are just really struggling to have a consistent trauma-informed mm. approach to these children and hold these big emotions that children are really clearly telling us they're not okay, they're not feeling okay. And we're really struggling, I think, as adults and institutions to be able to help children feel safe and that these feelings are okay and they are ordinary in these extraordinary times and things will get better. And I think that's what we're really struggling with. We're trying to fit children back into school settings that have changed considerably, but back into concentrating on schoolwork, back into thinking about exams when children have all these other things going on for them. And, and it's just resulting in children experiencing quite punitive actions by adults rather than um, more kind of therapeutic approaches that, that really can hold children in a safe way. Yeah, and I think just echoing what Amanda said is very much 
how can we see behaviour as communication and how can we see that children have understandably had to develop ways to protect themselves and to survive and to navigate and how do we see the child behind the behaviour and I think you know man said it's not what's wrong and people when they're feeling under stress often go to authoritarian punitive ways of being but it is that trauma-informed shift of it's not what is wrong with you it's what has happened to you and it's not what is wrong with you but it's what is strong with you and I think that's a huge thing that we're seeing different behaviors but it's trying to understand what is this as a response and as Amanda said trying to support the environment and the the schools who are under extreme stress and pressure to support those systems to be more healing more reparative and to be able to think as opposed to operating from a survival place. Um, Karen how's your work as a clinical psychologist changed because of the pandemic? Oh it's um, absolutely transformed Um, so in terms of um, and I wouldn't just say the pandemic I'd say combined Brexit, Black Lives Matter, and and all of the stuff that people are grappling with. Um, So I think, firstly, virtual, I mean, that's been absolutely huge. You know, I'm a very creative therapist. I use puppets and masks and Play-Doh. And it's very much about the relationship. I also do a lot of court work where I'm going into people's houses. Um, I've been shielding since March due to my own health issues. Um, So to move everything virtual has been a seismic shift. um, And that's come with lots of beautiful things but also lots of complications Um, but I've also been doing a lot more work with over 90 organizations to support them to think more about trauma and adversity um, which has I suppose raised the profile but I've been working clinically a lot more around grief bereavement Um, I've been working lots more around um, yeah children who are feeling very unsafe at home Mm. Um, so the sorts of referrals I've been getting has shifted but the nature of the work but also I supervise numerous practitioners clinicians and I consult to over 90 organizations and many of those uh, people themselves as therapists or social workers have also been struggling and triggered and dysregulated and feeling full up and overwhelmed so my work has had to be much more also about supporting them and their own well-being and their own regulation um, and that's been much more increased um, also had to support a lot more leaders of organizations um, just to give them a space to think and reflect because they are holding so much whether that is head teachers leaders of charities heads of social services um, you know we need to care for the carer and we need to uh, have a team around the worker as well so yeah lots and lots of shifts um, mm. but the virtual ones probably been the biggest. How have the ch- how have the children responded to the online therapy as opposed to sort of in-person stuff and I love the sound of the puppets by the way I mean <laughs> I think that sounds brilliant. I'm obsessed with puppets um, it's been a real interesting mix if I'm honest mm. as with many things so I've had some young people who've 
absolutely loved the virtual working, who almost have said that they prefer it. Um, people who have engaged in a way that they didn't before. I've been able to use virtual really creatively, you know, find an emoji, what would be your hashtag, um, you know, to get Pinterest boards. Um, and I've actually found some people find, you know, typing or being able to mute or those sorts of things. Lots of my young people have said it feels less distracting. Um, it feels less emotionally intense. Um, but they, you know, for a lot of teenagers, that's their medium. Uh, for other young people, it's been really difficult to be able to, many don't want to video chat. Um, they found it much less relational. Um, they've, it, the confidentiality and feeling scared about saying something, um, feeling if they get upset that you can't hug them or follow them um, when there's been a crisis. So it's been a real mixed experience and I'd say some people real positive some not and some all the shades in between mm. I don't know what Amanda's found but that's it's really yeah very similar Sorry. actually Karen um but equally shown real digital poverty across mm. across the piece as well um we've had to pay for data or mobile phones sometimes yeah. just so that we can communicate with children um and, and we're lucky we have developed a crisis fund that enables us to do that so real digital poverty but mm. also kind of privacy poverty mm. as well some of the families that we're working with there's maybe three four five siblings in a very small house and there's no safe space for children actually to be able to talk with us independently and and that's been a real struggle as well because um that also impacts on things like online schooling and learning of course doesn't it and what we've seen is some children have been really disadvantaged in all of that maybe they're all sharing a single tablet or a phone um, and and really disadvantaged both in terms of being able to communicate with supportive adults and peers but also engaging online learning and 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 kind of communication more widely so um a real difference i i think as well where we had relationships already with children that we'd mm. formed face to face it was much easier to move those relationships online we've really struggled to engage particularly with boys for the first time in online settings mm. um and and but as i said where we've had previous relationships um, with boys um, in, in kind of face-to-face -face therapeutic settings, they've been much easier to move into online settings than, than, than children that have just been introduced to us. So a real mixture right across the piece, yeah. Yeah, I think Amanda's right. The digital poverty has been huge um, and phone credit. And I think as we've seen, it's brought the sort of social injustice and disparities to the surface, like oil and water, but also... Um, you know, those where English isn't a first language. I work a lot with asylum seeking, trafficked and refugee young people, uh, little children trying to keep a child who's two or three um, <laughs> is always interesting in front of the screen. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, those with who Amanda spoke about before, those who are deaf, um, those who are visually impaired. So there's so many different layers with that, really. Um, that's huge. And I think I would echo Amanda's sense of, of teenage boys. Um, I've been doing some quite innovative stuff to help engage that group, as I know Bernardo's have as well. But I, I agree. I think that's been one of the hardest uh, demographics to engage with during this time. How are you guys looking after yourself with all of this kind of pressure and the important work that you're doing? Are you 
are you looking after yourself? How are you doing mentally? Um, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting time because I'm definitely holding and containing a lot of people. And as I say, I've been shielding myself since March in a mm-hmm. gardenless flat. Um, so it's definitely been an interesting time whilst trying to buy a house. Um, but yeah, I actually I've been doing a lot of stuff. So I feel very, very whilst I'm physically distancing, I'm socially connected. I'm very privileged that I have an amazing network of people. Um, I do numerous regulating activities in between every session. And that is, I've got lots from using a sensory box to breathing exercises, to shaking it off, to certain music, to de-rolling at the end of the day. Um, I surround myself by items that make me feel safe. I've obviously got a supervisor. Um, I've got my own therapy. Um, so there's lots and lots of things, but it has definitely had to be more intentional and deliberate because lots mm. of strategies that I used to do in the past, I've not been able to because they involve leaving. Um, so it's definitely, I've been keeping a reflective diary and journal Um yeah, I've been eating a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing, but um, yeah, but, same. <laughs> yeah, put on about two stone, but um, but yeah, it's it's had to be. Um, and like after I get off the phone to you guys, I've got a ritual that I do to sort of get myself into a different headspace so that I can enjoy the evening. So it has been. I don't know what amount. I know Amanda's been holding a huge amount as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess for us it's been. Um, it's been really challenging for the intake team. So those are the Bernardo staff who receive all the referrals in and then match them with their local providers. And um, and I think one of the challenges that they've found is not being able to see um, a, a child through the whole process. So we've started mm. to build in time for those workers to go back and read the closure form. So we get closure um, a, a closure note for each child to say kind of the work that happened and, and, and some of the outcomes. And, and it's been really important, I think, to give staff space to go back because there's definite children and families that they've talked to that have really stuck with them. And uh, they've been thinking, I wonder what happened or, or I hope that that child's OK. And, and so being able to go back or talk to partners or read those closure forms to know that support was put in place and that children and families are in a better place than they were has been a really important thing for us to build in. Mm. Um, Also having daily stand-ups, you know, normally we debrief, don't we, going to make a cup of tea in the kitchen and somebody else is going to be there and you say, oh, I've just had a really tough um, hour with a child and and I'm really concerned and and, and there's people to, to share that with. And when you're working from home, you don't have that. So really purposefully building in time for staff to talk to each other and debrief um, and and, um, eat cake. Um, And we're a great (laughs) fan in the programme of cake at the moment. Um, And and just um, be able to be there for each other has been very important. A lot of our staff have their own children as well. And that's been a very difficult thing to do um i also have children and i'm moving from the computer where you see lots of unsafe children coming in um every hour um um in their 10s and 20s and 30s every hour coming in to to moving away to um be with your family that you know is safe they're in your house and you know there's food in the fridge and we've got the heating on and things you know i'm i'm in a very privileged position that 
my my children are there. It's been really tricky for us to to move away from those other children into our other family lives. I think quite mm. often we felt quite guilty that we've still got jobs um, and that we're we're you know we're in quite a privileged position in terms of that compared to many other families and and and. You, you can end up feeling quite guilty around around the things you have when you're working with families who are losing so much um, and, and just being kind to themselves in terms of our staff team and, and saying, no, actually, my children are important. My family is also important and I do need to spend some time and giving ourselves and each other permission to do that has been very important. But certainly the conflation of home and work um, mm-hmm. and working with children when your other children may be downstairs or in another room is, is really quite a challenge, I think, for staff. And I'm not sure we uh, really understood at the start of this pandemic how much workers would have to juggle in relation to that. Yeah. And what it's like if you're supporting a distressed child and your own child's in the next room crying or saying, can you help me with my homework? Mm. All of those bits around, you know, your work role and your identity change. So I think as Amanda said, there's that aspect of feeling privileged and that your kids are doing really well, but also when your kids are struggling, how you're also, it's like, how do you give people the best of you, not what's left of you and people feeling incredibly spread so thin and guilty about taking annual leave, guilty about looking after your kids, guilty about saying, oh, I'm actually really enjoying the pandemic. You know, a lot of people have said that. So I think guilt and helplessness are, are two big emotions that a lot of people not all people but a lot of people have been experiencing yeah you're both doing such incredible work you make me quite emotional I have to say um agreed I'm afraid we have to finish um soon but is there anything else either um of you would like to add um we'd love to sort of have the details about Bernardo's um from you please Amanda and if you want to add anything as well please do Carol Thank you. No, thank you so much for having us and um, just really thinking of people at the moment. I think, you know, I, I just am holding people in, in my heart, really. I think there's there's so much going on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And just, just to say that if, you know, families are feeling like they need additional support, See Here Respond is there until the end of November and we're working really closely with the government to look at whether or not we will extend um, as as the pandemic and, and local lockdowns continue. And all you'd need to do really is is put in a search engine, see here, respond Bernardo's. And, and you can see the free phone number. And there's also an online form that you can fill in just to say you want help. And as soon as you take any of those actions to reach out, um, um, you will be responded to by Bernardo's um, uh qualified practitioner who will will contact you to see what kind of support it is that we could offer and and then to source that support for you locally so um and if you're a professional equally um we'd ask you to talk to families that you'd want to refer um and to get their consent but um you're able to to fill that form in on behalf of children and families too. Um, I guess my parting thought really is we've talked a lot about the issues and challenges and and overwhelming feelings that children and families have had during this time. But um, equally, I think what See Here Respond has really brought home to me is um, um, the amount of strength and hope and um, creativity and fun that we have with those children too and what they bring to us in terms of, you know, um, showing us how 
amazing they are and what their skills and strengths are. And so although it is a program that works with lots of sadness and challenges, um, it also harnesses lots of strength um, and, and we have a lot of fun too. And, and, and I think it is a message of hope. We know that children you know, do adapt and they, they, with the right support and the right space and the right time, they do thrive and survive. And, and, and that's what SEA Respond is here to do really is to step in and support those children and families at that time of need. But knowing that, you know, things for many of those children and families will um, get better um, and, and will move forward positively. So this is goodbye. From if you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate or review. Five stars would be lovely. Also, if you've enjoyed this, come and have a chat to us on Facebook. We've got a group called Mentally Yours. Also, we have a Twitter, which is Mentally YRS. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.